Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Can we prove the existence of God? No. Well, thanks for listening to The Christian Skeptic today. Uh, I'm just kidding. Let's get into this. Let's get into why we cannot. And first of all, I would like to start off by quoting one of my favorite theologians ever. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said, if you have a God whose existence you can prove, you have an idol. And so a proper understanding of the Christian God is an understanding that this is a God that I cannot prove to you actually exists. And so let's start to break down our terms here because I just kind of said some really big things. I said the word prove and I said the word exist and I said the word God. And these three words have varying definitions and varying implications. So let's get into it. Let's start with the word proof. And let's talk about what that actually means when we say proof. So when I say the word proof, I want you to think of that tangible thing that I can show you, I can explain to you, I can uh, deduce or reduce for you. And there is an undeniable level of certainty that whatever that thing is, there is a direct effect that says, because this thing is, therefore, something else is. So... In the case of the existence of God, there would have to be a tangible thing. Uh, Let's just say a photograph. Let's say I uh, was able to go to the top of Mount Sinai and God popped up, uh, not in a burning bush this time, but in the flesh. Though I don't know if I would actually say God has flesh. I I realize that in Christianity... The Bible teaches God took on flesh in the person of Jesus, but that's not what I'm saying because Christianity still distinguishes a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, as far as a, a personhood of God. And and I'm not saying the word being right now because I'd like to get into that discussion in just a minute on what being actually is and uh, as we get into the, the discussion on what existence actually is. But let's say I had a photograph of God, right? And you said, prove to me that God exists. And I said, aha, I can. Look, here's his picture. It was picture day on Mount Sinai, and here is God. Well, that would be the case of me proving God exists. But as you and I both know, no such photograph exists. No such proof exists. And why is that? Well, let's start the discussion on existence now. (laughs) I realize this is a very wide topic that has been discussed and debated for hundreds of years in philosophy uh, and in science as well. And so I would like to kind of summarize some of the points that Heidegger made when he wrote his work, Being and Time. So in his work, Being and Time, Martin Heidegger gets into 
two different terms, one he calls ontics and one he calls ontology. And we need to separate these both out because they both pertain to existence. So let's start with ontics, and this is just a quick summary. I don't want to go on and on in this episode about Heidegger, but I feel like we should lay some base terms so we understand what we're talking about when we talk about existence. So Heidegger talks about ontics, and when you hear ontics, I want you to think of categorization of being, right? So uh, if, if you were to describe my being with ontics, you could describe it physically or, you know, biologically, you could describe my physical layout. You know, I am a, a male human. I have two eyes. I have a nose. I have a mouth, right? We're getting into the ontics of my being. You can also describe my being ontically by describing uh, where I am, when I am, what what year I'm living, what year I was born, maybe in the future, what year I die. Well, I guess not maybe, certainly I, I am going to die in the future. I foresee that coming. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe. I don't know. I probably should just delete this little rambling from this episode, but you, you understand the point, right? That, that ontics is a categorization of being, right? What, what describes a dog to you? Well, you're probably going to think of a dog ontically. Now, ontology is less of a categorization of being and more on the actual being itself, the actual questioning, what does it mean to be, right? It's a little deeper than, than Descartes, I think, therefore I am, right? But at the same time, is, is it actually deeper? Because what does it mean to think, right? Um, back to the example with, with the dog, Heidegger would argue that humans are ontically ontological. In other words, we categorize the world of beings around us, we categorize ourselves as beings, and yet there is something within us ontologically that questions the quality, as it were, of our being. So, for example, with the dog, uh, if you have a dog and he listens to a command, you would probably pet him on the head and say, good boy, good boy. The dog is not going to then question, am I a, a, a good boy? Am I a good dog? And yet we do that as humans, right? And it's not necessarily just in the categories of good or bad. We question so many different aspects of our ontology, of our being, right? And so when we talk about God, you may even be thinking to yourself at this point, or maybe out loud, I hope he doesn't bring up the ontological argument right now. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you say, I hope he does bring up the ontological argument for God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with the ontological argument of God, uh, we're going to talk about an argument that another philosopher named Anselm thought of uh, originally. Since then, there's been uh, several other philosophers who have either expanded on or changed this idea of the ontological argument. But Essentially, the argument that Enselm created and that others have either expanded on or changed is that God exists as a being because by definition, God must exist as a being, right? I'm on the camp that would see this argument more as circular reasoning, uh, which is to say it exists because it's true and it's true because it, ex because it exists and, and it exists because it's true and it's true because it exists. And, and, and you kind of see where I'm going, where everything's just going to go back in a circle. And I'm of this camp because, number one, I don't think this proves the existence of God. Uh, number two, I, I, I see that there's a lot of logical fallacies within this argument. But 
what we're getting at is existence, right? What we're getting at is ontology. We all have this idea of ontology. Uh, we all describe our ontology without getting outside of the realm of ontics because we must operate in the realm of ontics because we live in reality, right? And, and uh, Kant would, would agree we have nothing but ontics to argue with. And yet there, there is a, a metaphysical side, right? There's an ontological side to what it means to be a being. Now, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds of what our being is. So I'm going to drop Heidegger here for a second. And we're going to talk about God. Uh, God as not a being that exists, but rather the one whom existence is his chief characteristic or his chief defining characteristic may maybe to say that a better way so we've sort of danced around some definitions for what it means to prove and what it means to exist but now let's dance around a definition of god and again i say dance around because these are 20 minute podcasts i don't have the time nor do i actually have the knowledge to fully define what proof means, what existence means, and what God means. I simply want to want to give you some ammo, some some answer to this question, imperfect as it may be, through the lens of logic and reason. You see, if I were to just come at you with the ontological argument and say, well, God exists because, well, when we define God, uh, God is the one who must exist, right? He is the uncaused cause. He's the first cause. Uh, therefore, God exists. So just take that and have faith. That's not my goal here. My goal is to apply some logic to this question. So as always, if you're not satisfied with my answer, let me know, please. Uh, let me know on social media. Let me know through email. Uh, let me know... How, however you can let me know let me know but let's let's define god now now i realize i just kind of poked fun at the uncaused cause argument but i don't think the entire argument is actually invalid i don't think the ontological argument at least not the one that anselm provided is the most logically sound argument for the existence of god nor does it prove really anything other than that Anselm used circular reasoning and that Christians should avoid that at all costs because Anselm got a lot of fire from other philosophers throughout the ages for using circular reasoning. So if anything, this teaches Christians, please don't use circular reasoning. Please don't say God exists because God must exist. So God, what do we mean? What do I mean when I say the word God? When I say God, I mean the creator and sustainer of everything. So this is where I would like to bring up the uncaused cause argument, especially for those of you that are probably not familiar with what I just said, even when I said the uncaused cause argument. But essentially, this idea of causality goes all the way back to uh, even before Aristotle to Socrates. Right now, Aristotle actually had a lot to say about causality, but, but the idea, I mean, I guess you could even trace the idea to the pre-Socratics, because before Socrates even, there was this idea that there was an ethereal realm on which everything was based, right? You see, the Greeks looked around and they saw a tree, and they thought, well, golly, every tree is different, but there must be an idea 
an idea of a tree on which every single tree that we see is based. And that idea exists in the realm of the gods, in the ethereal realm. And, well, this is not only true for just the tree, this is true for everything. Everything that we see in our own world came from an idea. And the perfect version of that, of that idea, the original idea, exists in the ethereal realm. Right? So you fast forward a couple hundred years and we have this idea of causality, right? which is to say that everything that we see came from a cause. right? So a tree came from an acorn and the acorn came from the tree and you trace it all the way back and, and you have the original tree somewhere. right? Uh, when, when you look around at the things that we've made, right? a table, a table came from someone who thought of a table. Now, maybe they had thought of a table because they'd seen one before and they had a different idea of a table in their mind. And so they, you know, did their woodworking and, and various things to, to, to make this table, right? And, and they got the idea from a table they had seen. And that table had someone who thought of it first. And, and it goes back and back and back until we have the original inventor of the table uh, who is worth millions and millions of dollars, though he'll never see any of it because he's already dead, long, long dead. But, but that's the idea of causality, right? And so when we take this idea of causality and apply it to literally everything and trace back literally everything, everyone, every being back, uh, there's this idea that something has to be the initial causer, the initial mover, right? And so what well, we have to say then that this initial mover has to have existed outside of time because time itself is a cause thing. Why do I say that? Because we can measure it, right? Because time is is measurable. It had to have, have had a start and therefore it could very well possibly have an end. So there has to be an initial mover that exists not only outside of every single created thing, even the universe itself, but outside of time itself. And so the theologians and, and many philosophers over the past several hundred years have ascribed God as this initial mover. So I just want to start with that very basic definition of God. And I don't want to apply the word exists to God because in philosophy, there's this idea that something existing, when I say something exists, what I'm doing is I'm actually just describing that thing. Uh, and so therefore existence becomes an attribute of the thing and if it's an attribute of the thing, that means existence already applies to it, which means the thing already exists. Otherwise, I wouldn't be describing it at all. If it doesn't exist, and I say it exists, I do so falsely. But what I'm doing then is I'm describing an attribute of a thing that would be true if it existed, right? So I see where Anselm gets his ontological argument, right? And that if he says, well, does God exist? Well, if I'm describing an attribute of God, Therefore, he, he must already exist because existence is just an attribute of him. So that's why I want to kind of pull the word existence out of this. And I, I want to, moving forward in the podcast, talk about the essence of God's existence as an ontological being. And let me explain what I mean by that. But I don't just want to say God exists because God must exist. God exists as a concept. That is is undeniable whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a skeptic, an agnostic, if you believe a different religion, God exists, which would also make Anselm's argument true if instead of just saying God, he said the concept of God. If it's possible for the concept of God to exist, then therefore the concept of God must exist. That, I would say, is correct, Anselm. 
the concept of God does exist. What we are pivoting now to ask is, does the concept of God that we have in the Bible exist in reality? To boil it all down, God exists as a concept. Otherwise, we would not be talking about him. But is the essence of God's being and the essence of the existence of God's being purely a conceptual one? Is it made up in our minds? Or does the essence of God's being also operate in reality, in the real world, in the world of ontics, as we've discussed? Given all of that, I'd like to spend the rest of this episode talking about proof for the uncaused cause being God. Proof for there being a creator and sustainer of life. There still is none. There is no proof that God created this world. And there is no proof that God is still sustaining this world. But what I do submit to you is that there is evidence. And now there's evidence on both sides. Please uh, hear me out on this. There is evidence that points to there being a God. And there is evidence that points to there not being a God. To all of this being random, to the unmoved mover still being there. Something still started this all. But it wasn't God on the one hand, right? Or something started this all and it was God. And, and it wasn't just an ethereal God. It was the God of Christianity, right? After all, this is the Christian skeptic. So that's what we're going to talk about. There's evidence. Why? Because God does not exist in the realm of ontics to bring back Heidegger, right? God does not exist in the realm of physical characteristics. God does not exist in the realm of categorization as we have categorized things in our mind, right? He exists purely in an ontological realm. Again, this is not the ontological argument, uh, so please don't be confused there. The ontological argument was the argument that Ansel used to create his circular reasoning for God, but God must solely exist in the ontological realm. But God acts in the ontical realm. And so therefore, when God acts or when God moves, right, because he's the unmoved mover or the uncaused cause, and just to break those terms down a little bit, unmoved, right? It's the idea that God has always been, will always be. There is no moving his ontology. There's no moving his being, right, uncaused. Again, it's this idea going back to the metaphor of everything has a thought behind it. Well, when you trace it back all the way, there's only one thing that thought up everything, and that thing must not then have a cause. So that must be the uncaused, and yet it causes everything, right? It's unmoved, yet it moves everything. So if God is the uncaused cause, if God is the unmoved mover, if this concept of God in the Bible is acting in reality, he's acting in an ontical realm. There will be trace evidence of God, of God acting, of God creating, of God sustaining. And this evidence can come in many forms. Over the course of our journey together through 
the Christian Skeptic podcast. I hope to bring up a lot of this evidence. I hope to talk about the evidence that we have from nature. I hope to talk about the evidence that we have from morality for God. The evidence that I would give you for the existence of God is also similar to the evidence I would give you in a courtroom to make a case that an event either happened or did not happen, an event for which no one was there and no one saw. It's the quintessential response to Job that God gives, right? Where were you when I measured the earth? Where were you when I hung the foundation? Where were you when I spoke and told the light to shine? And yet God's response to Job is God's response to me and God's response to you. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I filled the oceans? Where were you when I hung the stars Can you feed the lion? Where were you? Answer, I was not there. I cannot sustain everything. But how do I know you're doing that? Well, we look at the evidence. Unfortunately, I can't really give you any evidence right now in this episode because this is all the time that we have. But I do hope to cover many different areas of evidence moving forward in the future in this podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the show.